If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-US wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Remember to visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or go online to mygreensolution.com. Use that promo code DNVR20. You'll get 20% off your entire purchase. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies and going to take some questions today. There are a few random topics I wanted to get into, and if I'm uh, running out of time, uh, or or not running out of time, as it were, the opposite of that, if I need to fill some time, I'm going to start breaking down uh, the Rockies roster a little bit. I did want to say here at the beginning, it looks like I've got some weird lighting issues happening with the camera. I hope that's not freaking people out on the live chat. Um, I want to appreciate everyone's relative patience with me over the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you have been patient with me, that is. And if you haven't, I totally understand. Uh, this offseason, I have decided to jump into a couple of creative projects, kind of a little more outside the realm of baseball. The two big pet projects that I took on to kind of lead the charge for were our first annual awards, the DNVR awards, or as we're calling them, the Goaties, which was a really fun thing. I, I hope people check that out. Uh, we got to celebrate the year that was in Denver sports. I think that's something we can make annual. In fact, I'm hoping in the future it's something we can do out at an event where all of you can come and and you know watch the award ceremony and maybe even receive an award. Who knows? Uh, we did give some shout-outs to uh, subscribers. It was a whole lot of fun. So 
Uh, I appreciated everyone who, who seemed to enjoy that. And now, of course, this week we're doing movie week. And, and this was something I've been very passionate about for a while. Uh, it's something that you know, I, I put a lot of time, almost an embarrassing amount of time into that bracket. So if you've enjoyed that so far and, and will continue to as we go, I think we're in the Sweet 16 now. Uh, check it out on Twitter. Vote for your favorite movies. Patrick and I have done a couple conversations about our favorite baseball movies. We'll do a few more. I do apologize if award shows and sports movies are not your thing and you've noticed the lag in Rocky's content lately because of that. But let's all be honest with ourselves. Team isn't doing much. I can only spend so much time breaking down uh, a dramatic event that is both non-specific and not going anywhere. But I'm very happy to get back, talk some Rockies with all of you. Uh, a few things that have come out since last we chatted. I figured I'd begin with 94 Wingate. This is the weirdest controversy of the offseason to me. As much as I may disagree with the consensus about you know, if the Rockies have built the right way or enough, if they're quote-unquote trying to win, how much, you know, they need to be doing exactly what their star player thinks they should be doing versus making sure that they keep him happy or at least not feeling disrespected. Those are all interesting conversations and fair debates, and I think there's a lot of merit on all sides. But look, man, I don't know how else to say this other than Dick Monfort offers a win total prediction every year. It's always in the 90s. It's not based on anything, and there's really nothing else he can say. There was literally, like, other than not saying anything, and even at this point, that would make people mad. People were mad as recently as a week ago for the team not answering questions and not answering the basic question of, you know, hey, how many games do you think you guys can win this year? He's the owner of the team. He's, uh, owners are also part mascot. I think people forget that sometimes. That like, yes, he sets the budget. Yes, he has a very, you know, important role on the team for sure. But beyond kind of hiring the GM and setting the budget, there's not much more for Dick Monfort to do. What it and and it's 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 difficult for me because when people are upset and around the Rockies, that tends to be pretty often because they throughout their history have not been winners. And so when that happens, it starts to justify every little complaint you could make. And I even had somebody say to me today on Twitter, and I really appreciated the honesty. He goes, you know, I'm just bitter about this whole Arenado thing, and I don't think the season's going to go well. So yeah, I'm mad at everything. And I really appreciated that honesty because I think some people lose sight of that and really believe that Dick Monfort saying the team is going to win 94 games is something to get mad about. And it's just, and I'm sorry, like, I'm not going to tell anybody how to feel. Uh, th that's not my job. Like, say, so I'm not, I, I was about to say, don't be mad at that. Be mad if you want. But I will tell you this. It's a meaningless statement. It's not based on anything. Uh, it And it doesn't matter how many games the team owner thinks they're going to win. I also don't think it's, absolutely ludicrous the way some people do. We've talked about this, and this will be more of our conversation as we get closer to spring training. I'm going to start giving you my breakdown of the roster position by position. The second I get my hands on a baseball down at Scottsdale, March 1, I will 
have a much better idea of how well I think the Rockies can perform in 2020. But just because you think the season's going to be a disaster doesn't mean that the owner shouldn't come out and say something positive. Even if he doesn't believe it, and I actually think he does believe it. And I've had a lot of people, so I asked the question on Twitter, because uh, I said, you know, what did you want him to say? Which, first of all, almost nobody brought up, you know, gave an example of something he could have said that would have made them happy. If anything, people have said he shouldn't have said anything. Which, again, I just point back to every year Dick Monfort gives a win prediction. And most owners in baseball do this. I don't know why. I don't know what the point of it is. But it's just, it, it happens all the time. I suppose he could have said no comment, but trust me, people would have made a big deal of that too. If if he's asked the question, hey, how many games do you think your team is going to win this year? And he says, ah, no comment. That doesn't also send a message? That doesn't send a worse message in a way? All he can do at this point is cheerlead his team. I mean, he could up the budget, but you know what I mean? Outside of, again, outside of the two things that I, everyone wants him to do. And I'll, I'll, I guess what I'm arguing is, I think the argument is better served if you're going to critique Dick Monfort and Jeff Breidich, if those critiques are kept substantial, substantive. Critique Dick Monfort for budgetary decisions. And, and I think what I saw a lot of people saying was this just shows how out of touch he is. But in my mind, it doesn't show how out of touch he is. Thinking the team can win a lot of games is a reasonable position to hold. And just because you don't hold it doesn't mean someone's out of touch with reality. It's professional sports. All kinds of things can happen. And a team that's got four position player all-stars and the three best starting pitchers in the history of their franchise, quite possibly if Freeland gets it back together, isn't an afterthought. They're not the Baltimore Orioles or the Miami Marlins or the Pittsburgh Pirates. Let's calm down a little bit there. It was one bad season propelled by a 68-game stretch that was absolutely terrible. You can't just wash away the 400 games before that and say he's the one out of touch with reality because he thinks those 400 games meant something. On the other hand, not investing enough in analytics, not doing the things he needs to to make streaming and technology a bigger part of their operation, caring more about the little nuances of the game, which is where the Rockies need to excel. Those are fair critiques. Those show that he's out of touch. Those show that he doesn't understand the relationship between real analytics and winning. Him coming out and saying, hey, we can win 94 games this season. Like, I think that's when people who are hypercritical of the franchise, the organization, and these two people in particular lose the argument. They lose people in the relative middle because this just isn't something... It, it, it's not a signal that he's out of touch. There are plenty of other signals that he's out of touch, <laughs> if, if that's your argument. There are much better arguments to be made there. And at some point, it just starts to feel like... I said this on Twitter, and correct me if you think I'm wrong. Dick Montfort's dinner order would raise ire from the fans right now. If he tweeted out, hey, tonight I ordered X for dinner, there'd be a million tweets about why that was wrong. So 
there there is nothing he can say. Spring training just needs to get here as soon as possible. But I also find it hilarious, this notion that because there's nothing they can say, it's better PR if they say nothing at all. For an organization that spent all of last year being heavily criticized for not coming out and talking to us, the media, enough. And then the second they did, they hold a big media availability at the end of the year. And they say some controversial things, to be sure. Suddenly nobody's saying, well, hey, good job for them coming out and being a little bit transparent. Now it's like, well, forget that. Who cares about transparency? I don't like what I'm seeing. Well, I mean, and, and, and again, I think it's fair to hold the position of like, I don't like what I'm seeing from the, or I didn't like their answers to these questions, but it is a little bit of a, a catch-22 here where, especially in this particular instance, where there's no right answer for Dick Monfort, including giving no answer, right? Like, he'll be critiqued for that as well. So the other big bit of news that's come across the wires recently that a lot of people want me to have stronger opinions on than I do, but let's get into it here. And DJ, thank you for grabbing all the Breck brews after the Dodgers announcement. A good way to deal with it. Maybe a little Mile High Green Cross if that's your thing as well. Lucas says, the Dodgers were already favorites for the division. The Rocks' best chance at the playoffs was the wild card, and I don't think this trade hurts the Rockies as much as it seems. Lucas, stop taking my job, bro. Quit saying my thoughts on the comment section before I can get there. I, I, that was my immediate reaction. And, and I tweeted it because I've been doing this movie thing, and, and fair enough, okay. I'm talking last night about, like, Rocky versus Caddyshack, and I, I get a response from Tom. Love you, Tom. Just goes, yeah, good thing nothing's going on in the baseball world right now. You've got time to talk Caddyshack versus Rocky. But so I just retweeted him and I said, here's my take on Mookie Betts to the Dodgers and David Price. The Dodgers are really good. Those players are really good. The Dodgers were going to be on paper the best team in the National League next year anyway. The Dodgers are going to be on paper the best team in the National League for a very long time. Let's Look, let's let's have a let's have a moment, all of us together. Can we ever anyone who's not a part of the conversation, you know who you are. <coughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers were only ever not the beast of the NL West when their ownership situation was an absolute catastrophe. And still during that time, they managed to compete occasionally. When it was a family, and now I'm blanking on the name, someone will remind me in the comments, you remember, that were, when they were fighting each other over custody of the Dodgers and all kinds of other stuff, that mitigated to some degree the extraordinary advantage that that team has when it comes to building an organization and resources. And now, ever since the Magic Johnson group has taken over, that simply has not been an issue. Now they're a team with a $2 billion TV deal who's run by people who know what they're doing. And so while, yes, the Dodgers being in the Rockies division makes it feel, and, and I got to take our guy Manny Rondawa to task over this again because he keeps framing it this way. Like, how are the Rockies supposed to compete with the Dodgers? 
Nobody competes with the Dodgers, not in the National League, not when it comes to resources, not when it comes to being able to pull off moves like this, not even the Cubs. When it comes to on paper, do you have the most talent? The Los Angeles Dodgers are going to be one or two in that category in perpetuity. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. The Rockies can find ways to compete inside of this, but this is where I disagree with people like Manny and Patrick Lyons, and and we need to have this roundtable again because there is this sense of, well, they're not even trying to keep up with the Dodgers. And they shouldn't. It's not possible. You cannot, from a resources and free agency and trading standpoint, play in the front office Frank McCourt, thank you, Will. Can always count on you, Will. You can't, if, if I've said it before, I'll say it again. You play like the Dodgers in there, you're gonna lose to the Dodgers out there. And this would be true. If the Rockies were in any other division in baseball other than the AL East, they'd have won a division by now. They're in the AL Central, the AL West, or the NL Central, or the NL East. They would have won a division by now. And they probably wouldn't have, but they are in a division with not just one, but two teams with an extraordinary amount of resource. Now, the San Francisco Giants have fallen apart recently. And again, that can happen. It's not going to happen to the Dodgers. They're not just the bullies of the NL West. They are the Yankees of the National League. And, 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 And better than the current Yankees. They are the... 90s to 2000s, when it comes to being able to swing whatever deal they want, attract whatever free agent they want, the Rockies cannot, over the course of 162 games, on paper, try to compete with the Dodgers. The Rockies' play has got to be get to the dance and be in a position to go on a run. It's the only thing that's ever worked for them. And people will chalk it up to luck every time. And I just, I can't, there's nothing I can do about that narrative. It's always going to be how it looks on paper. It always has. Oh, they caught fire at the right time. They, the talent just happened to play the right way. You got to pull on all the right little levers. You got to do something smart. Now, arguably the Rockies have not done, not even, not even argue, just the Rockies have not been the smartest team over the history of their franchise. And that's where fans get really super frustrated because I think I think the ones who are being honest and fair about this question and not the people going, we should be in, contitle, in contention to win the World Series every year. We should be the class of the NL West. That is, look, that is never, ever going to happen. Your team is an underdog. They're always going to have less money They're always going to have fewer superstars. They're always going to have fewer people in free agency who want to come here. And it's not just a matter of winning. It's not. Until Denver becomes a more exciting place for young, rich people to live than Los Angeles, this isn't going to change. There are ways to win inside of that system. But it's not spend more money, make more trades, or look across 
and worry that they just got two star level players in Mookie Betts and David Price and say, now we need to do something to match that. You do not. Now, of course, they're, they're not thinking that. <laughs> of, course the, of course, the Rockies are miles away from thinking they need to make a move of that order. I love you. Love you guys in here. Dan say 94 wins sounds like someone who is smoking something good. A little, little green solution. Or Will says, maybe he ordered some bojos. <laughs> um, look, I here's the thing. Do I believe that there is an avenue by which the Colorado Rockies could win a franchise record 94 wins? Yes. And do I think that that avenue is as unlikely or next to impossible as the consensus seems to? I do not. On paper, again, I don't know how all of the drama is going to play, and now that is the giant X factor, but if I can put the drama aside, I, and, and I, I see people willing to say the Rockies are a garbage baseball team, but I haven't seen anyone willing to break down the roster and say that. I haven't seen anybody willing to say, and it's because Kyle Freeland sucks now. Or it's because Wade did like go. I'm I've challenged a couple people to go through the roster, and everyone who's taken me up on that challenge has come out more positive on the team than they thought. They won 71 games and didn't make any moves is not good enough analysis. I'm sorry, it's just not. They begin with four legitimate all stars. Legitimate all stars. Then at the top of their rotation, they have the two best starting pitchers in the history of their franchise. Without question, there's no, I mean, other than piling up the, the counting statistics, and even there, John Gray at the end of next season is going to be second all time for the Colorado Rockies in strikeouts. He and Herman Marquez are as good at striking out and keeping the ERA low as any pitcher in Rockies franchise history. And if Freeland gets back to closer to his career totals, he'll have a three out of four year span where he is now one of the six or seven best pitchers in franchise history. Burying this team based on what happened last season, I believe is ill-advised. Take a look at the talent on the roster and not just what did guys do last season. In fact, if I let, let's do a little test before, don't, don't cheat, don't look it up. Uh, well, I'm doing, I, I mean, you're going to know because I'm setting it up this way. But who do you think over the last three years has averaged out to a better ERA plus between John Gray and David Price? Just barely. I think it's great. I don't, they're right. I, I, it's basically a tie. Would you have thought? And that includes Gray's horrible, terrible, no good, very bad year where he got sent down to the minors and missed out on a postseason spot, including that terrible year. So his good years, the two of the last three years, John Gray, according to ERA+, Plus, has been a better pitcher than David Price. Herman Marquez has been right in that category as well. So it's not as... now you, and, and in the same way, you can't go, well, the Dodgers won X number of games, and now they've got Mookie Betts, who's one of the best players in baseball, and David Price, who's been a multiple-time All-Star, and the name everybody knows. Like, yeah, okay, look at the whole roster. Look at who they sent out, and look at some more specifics. Now, I think the Dodgers got themselves better. Let's not get anything twisted here. Mookie Betts is a phenomenal 
phenomenal ball player. He's not yet been very good in the postseason, which I think that'll be an interesting narrative that could arise, you know, as the Dodgers have their postseason issues. Um, and David Price is a great pitcher, actually somebody I've always really liked. He has almost no sample size at Coors Field, and I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating because this is something, again, I don't think too many people are looking into because they're so focused on, well, Dodgers added star talent to a star team. Must be better. Probably are. Maybe better against most teams. But as I did when the Diamondbacks acquired Starling Marte, and I came to you and I told you, this is bad. Starling Marte absolutely wrecks at Coors Field. You know who else was phenomenal at Coors Field? In fact, the absolute best visiting starting pitcher that I have ever found with a decent number of, any, like more than one game pitched, Chris Archer and Garrett Cole, I think have pitched essentially a game at Coors Field and both did fine. The only guy other than them, Kenta Maeda. Kenta Maeda, and I actually found this out and got onto this track because I was pointed to it by one of the Rockies players. We were going through ERAs by opposing pitchers at Coors Field, and I was going, look, Kershaw gets wrecked, Bumgarner gets wrecked, um, ah, big lefty for the Diamondbacks, uh, Robbie Ray gets wrecked, and there was just a whole long list of them, and this guy I was talking to said, Check Kenta Maeda. And I did, and Kenta Maeda had like a 330, 340 ERA at Coors Field in like eight games pitched there or something. Uh nine, eight, nine. Like, and 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 of course he's he's actually always just pitched really well against the Rockies. Now I'm not saying the Rockies are gonna have David Price's number. I have no idea. Now, he is 35. He is coming off a career-worst ERA in the mid-fours. He's not the guy he used to be. Though his peripherals, I was checking, still very good. Over 10 strikeouts per under three walks per. That's going to play. But like almost every other pitcher in baseball last year, he was much more home run prone. Uh, You you know, that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to play when he has to pitch at either Coors Field or uh, down in Arizona. So there's just a lot more to it. And you've got to pour into those details. Also, Mookie Betts, again, that's a star player. That's a six-war, like a guy who's capable of being an MVP-level player. However, Jock Peterson and Alex Verdugo were also both very good players who particularly killed the Rockies. Do I think Mookie Betts is not going to kill the Rockies? Probably not. Mookie Betts probably be great against the Rockies. Maybe he's not. If Mookie Betts gets hurt, the Dodgers are a worse team because they moved out two outfielders who could do things for you and give you production at times for the individually better player, to be sure, but they're not going to get that. Like, Jock Peterson was a very productive player for the Dodgers um, and absolutely destroyed at Coors Field. I think he, he owns like three or four of the longest home runs ever hit at Coors. He's wrecked there too. So, I, I just don't think it's as simple as they got good players, now they're better. Those players need to adapt to the National League. They need to adapt to the specific level of competition. David Price needs to age gracefully enough for this to work out. 
and the cumulative. In fact, I saw somebody put out on Twitter last night, and again, I don't think this is the right way to, you don't boil down trades to just this either. But actually, if, if you're looking at baseball references, war, it was a completely even trade. The Dodgers sent out about seven war and brought in about seven war in projections and kind of the averages of what the players have done over the years. So, you know, my takeaway on this, like I said, people want me to have really strong opinions about it, but I don't know. The Dodgers were going to win 95 games. Now they'll win a hundred. I don't think that really changes projections for the Rockies that much. I think there's a way it can go positive for the Rockies. If they can figure out those particular players uh, better than they could, the players who left. And that's a high bar for Betts and David Price to jump over. To, for, for Betts and David Price to do more damage to the Rockies than Ross Stripling, Kenta Maeda, Alex Verdugo, and Jock Peterson have, that's actually not going to be an easy... They're going to have to be very, very good in those 19 games against the Rockies. They're two very good players. Let's see it play out. Let's see what happens. You know, like I said... People don't think of John Gray as being basically the equivalent of David Price, but the peripherals tell you this pretty much is. If you start going player by player, now the Dodgers are still on paper the better team, but not nearly by as much as it might seem unless you are of the opinion. And this is why I keep challenging people to do this. If you believe that Kyle Freeland is bad now, then the Rockies are in a world of hurt. It's it's almost that simple. But I haven't seen the person with the gall to come out and say the Rockies will be bad, and it's because it turns out Kyle Freeland isn't the guy he was in 17 and 18. He's the guy he was in 19. That also has to be true for a couple of other players. Wade Davis would be number two on that list. Another guy who I think, I see a lot of people rolling their eyes at the notion that a guy who's 32 and spent an entire decade being one of the most feared relievers in all of baseball can't get himself right after a year in which everything that could go wrong for him did. I think that's interesting. Now, again, if that is your position, don't just roll your eyes at Thomas Harding's article. Don't just say, oh, great, the Rockies are hoping and believing that their players will get better. Give me your analysis as to why Wade Davis at 32 years old is who he was in 2019 and not who he was from 2013 to 2018. If you've, if you've got the argument, give it to me. Show me the aging curves. Show me the peripherals. All right, give me the breakdown on his video showing that his, the pitches don't move the way that they used to because I don't see any of that. I see a guy who lost his cutter in a season where no one could grip the baseball and who, in trying to fix it, essentially cho- every decision he made was incorrect in trying to fix it. And his season spiraled out of control. And no, that's not because I'm a guy who refuses to see that the Colorado Rockies might have some relievers who get paid too much who might just be done and terrible. Done, speaking of which, they had one of them. He just retired. I think there's two others right there. I'm with everybody on the McGee-Shaw stuff. I see a little bit of a potential path forward for Shaw. Um, Again, based on watching video, taking a look at the peripherals, looking what he did at Coors Field, taking a look at his entire career, recognizing that he's on a contract year, at least address all this stuff. That's all I'm saying. You know, this notion that 
And and this was the tweet I sent out earlier about Earth 1 and Earth 2. It's just the notion that, well, a guy was bad last year, so he's bad. Or a guy was great last year, so he's great. And they added a great player, so now they're plus one great player. Um, I just don't think it, it, it works that way. There is a possibility that Sam Hilliard starts 150 games for your Colorado Rockies at center field Hits 20 home runs, steals 20 bases, strikes out a bunch, but becomes this force that they did not have and that nobody predicted, except for maybe me a couple of times. Brandon Rogers could be that guy. Peter Lambert could be that guy. On a higher scale, but similarly, Ryan McMahon could be that guy. And yes, there are those guys on other teams, but that's exactly why preseason prognostication is so difficult and often silly. And I wish there was a bit more hindsight about this. So this was something I did recently. I got to give a shout out to all of our sponsors, though. You guys have been doing a great job of that. You guys did mention all the Breck Brew, so that was the next one. Just make sure you're drinking. If you haven't had the New Mile High Copper Lager, it's really, really good. Sometimes lagers can be just, like, too light for me. I like drinking them, but, you know, you're a couple in. You're like, am I just drinking water now? But that that Copper Lager will do you good. You'll you'll feel good with that one if that's your if – you, if you like the flavor but want a little more zest, a little more punch to your lager – I cannot recommend the Mile High City enough. Plus, if you're a sports fan, you'll want one of those cans. They're super awesome. But so, yeah, when I was talking about on Twitter earlier today about Earth 1 and Earth 2, you know, I said on Earth 1 or on Earth 2, you know, in another dimension, another reality. Yeah, the Dodgers have got five World Series championships. The Angels have been a powerhouse all decade because they've won the offseason a couple of times. The White Sox have won the offseason a couple of times. This decade, I went back and checked articles and I found almost no correlation between who any of the big national places have said won the offseason or lost it for that matter and any kind of success on the field. Are there times where someone wins the offseason and still ends up getting into the postseason or into the World Series or even winning it? Once or twice, yeah. But just there are there are more times where, in fact, there are a lot more times. This is what really blows my mind, is that this is incredibly common. And it seems like nobody has learned this by now. Like when Albert Pujols and C.J. Wilson were acquired by the Los Angeles Angels, there were headlines that said, book your tickets to the World Series. That team has made the postseason once, right? When the Phillies acquired four All-Stars, they were a team that was on the edge, and people used this exact same logic they're using right now. They'd won 80 games. They were terrible down the stretch in 2018 as the Rockies went on a mad dash to win 91 games and then take the wild card. The Phillies, who were trying and doing all the stuff at the trade deadline and made the moves people wanted to, them to make to keep them in the race, well, they fell completely apart anyway. They had a, a terrible finish to that season, but they still ended up with like 80 wins. So they went out and added four all-stars. Four of them. Yeah, a team that 
really won 80 games, but probably should have been more because they just collapsed at the end. So maybe they're a true talent, 84, 85 win team. You add four all-stars, one of them, Bryce Harper, 97 win team, right? And people were, people were saying they could win a hundred games. I had, in fact, I might've been one of the people that said, I don't think anybody in the national league is going to win a hundred games, but if it is on paper, the Phillies were the team that could do it. They finished in last place. This happens all the time in baseball. And so, you know, the San Diego Padres, I know I've said this a bunch of times, but Howard, they've been the they've been off-season winners five different times for uh, one publication that I checked. The San Diego Padres were off-season win- winners five different times in the last decade. The Rockies, of course, have never, ever appeared on any off-season winner list that I could find. The Rockies won more games in the last decade and have been to the postseason a couple of times in the last decade, and the Padres have not. It, it, it absolutely blows my mind the extent to which, you know, and, and other teams like the Houston Astros. Now, that's a whole other can of worms we don't have time to get into right now, but you know, rarely did they ever win an offseason. They just slowly built their team from within. There was no big splash acquisition. Their big splash acquisitions came mid-season, the times when they got Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. So they still make moves, but the Astros have never been off-season. The Royals went to back-to-back World Series and won one. They were never the off-season. The more people have won the World Series after being considered off-season losers than the other way around. Now, I, I can't say that definitively. That's just from you know, the research I've done, there's a ton of articles and, you know, how, how, what are you considering national publication? What are we giving credit to? But I'm serious. You will find certainly no correlation the other way. And I think that's just fascinating that we seem to get caught up in this thing every year. All right. Kevin's got a long thought here that I want to read. He says, my thoughts on Breitich. Sorry, had to bring it up. Just some random thoughts. Breitich knew he wouldn't be able to spend this winter long ago. This probably was well communicated to Nolan, but things unraveled in 2019 season, which were Nolan's rebuild comments came from. Nolan wants to win now and hates that they still couldn't really add from outside the org. But say Rockies level out some in 2020, win 82 to 85 games. They then have money to spend for 2021 since all the bad contracts should fall off. Then they go out and win 90 plus in 2021 and make the postseason. Then Nolan stays. I don't know. A lot can happen. Thanks for reading this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to believe could happen. And I actually think that that's more likely than they just win 70 games each of the next two years. And and I think if people are being really, really honest with themselves they will recognize that that is an emotional conclusion to reach, that the team's just going to be garbage no matter what. There are plenty of landmines along the road that you've laid out there, Kevin, especially, you know, if an 82 to 85 win season really isn't enough to temper the beast in the mid meantime and and how do they get there you know an 82 win season means at some point you've probably had a really bad stretch and if that really bad stretch comes in april or may 
does the whole clubhouse situation get terrible? Nolan gets really mad and they have to trade him or something like that. So, yeah, uh, but do I think it's possible? In general, what you're saying here, I think, is 100% correct. Here are the big takeaways from that general line of thinking. There are a lot of games to be played, and Nolan Arenado tends to be emotionally a man of the moment. The moment right now sucks, and so he is pissed. If the moment, he cannot actually walk away, and he's not going to stop playing baseball hard. He's just not. He's not that guy. He's not going to torpedo the team on purpose. He can't walk away until after the 2021 season. If you That gives you two years to give him something to feel good about is 85 and then 90 wins enough to do it? Some people will say no. I feel like my friend Manny, getting a lot of shout-outs this point, would say no. I don't think we have the answer to that. I think we're all kind of prisoners of the moment. I've said this before, and this is a perfect time worth repeating it, because I often say it in regards to statistics. In my opinion, the strongest bias in sports is not homerism, it's not haterism. It's recency bias. It's not pro-stats or anti-stats, modern or old school. The biggest bias that runs across all demographics, and not just in sports, I think probably in life, is recency bias. Whatever is most gutturally real and recent and tangible is the thing that is the most real. And that can play both ways. It plays horribly right now if you're a member of the Rockies, a member of the Rockies front office, or a fan of the Rockies. It's not especially great if you're a media member covering the Rockies. If they win, let's bump it up a notch, Kevin. If they win 90 games next year. And the Dodgers win 110, but the, the Rockies win 90. They get the first wild card spot. They host a wild card game at Coors and they win it. And then, now say they still lose in the NLDS. Let's not have them get swept this time, but they lose in the NLDS. They still don't get any further. But they've gone to the postseason now three or four years, and all that money that Kevin's talking about comes off the books. Now I think Nolan Arenado will be a prisoner of that moment. I 100% do. And that moment will be, oh, as it turned out, because the other, I think the other thing that people forget about, like, so, and, and this is a great conversation to have today on 94 Wingate Day, but a win total doesn't happen in a vacuum. Patrick Lyons and I were talking about some of the issues with regards to the budget recently. And he was saying, you know, they could get stuck, though. They might not have as much money as you think to spend next offseason because David Dahl's going to go up in arbitration. Trevor Story's new contract is backloaded to next year. Um, Kyle Freeland could make a lot more in arbitration. Uh, and, you know, there, there are a few more of those other things that it could end up being the case that Daniel Murphy's option gets picked up because he's playing well. And when he said that, I said, no, wait, 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 wait. 
But if Daniel Murphy's option gets picked up because they think he's playing well enough that it actually makes sense to keep him, and Kyle Freeland's playing well enough that he's going to get a big raise in arbitration, and David Dahl is playing well enough and just enough that he's in line to get a big raise in arbitration, well, you've got yourself a pretty good baseball team all of a sudden. So yes, you'll have a little bit less financial flexibility, and there are still some things they absolutely cannot let happen. Even if he's good, you can't let Wade Davis finish 30 games, and you can't let the Brian Shaw contract vest. Again, even if he's good, you, 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 can't, you can't do that for financial reasons. But the rest of the stuff that could mitigate the financial things for next year, that all bodes well. So it's not enough to say, well, the Rockies getting to the wild card and then losing or getting to the NLDS and losing is not going to be enough to convince Nolan that he needs to stay. I think you're that, that's too specific of the parameters and you're leaving out. If the Rockies win 90 games in 2020, which I don't think a lot of people happen, but again, we're, we're just saying if that were to happen, what would be the path for them to get there? Freeland, I, I just went through the list. The, the guys would have to play well. So it's not just a matter of, well, first round exit, X, Y, Z. No, 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 no. Will Nolan Arenado want to stick on a team that suddenly has three young pitchers still in their 20s who are all playing really well now? A guy like David Dahl, who looks like maybe he's going to be a perennial all-star and maybe he can stay healthy. A second baseman who's become an all-star and Ryan McMahon, a veteran, and Daniel Murphy, who suddenly is what he was advertised, and a bullpen who doesn't fall apart all the time. Then maybe just, you know, the fact that they weren't good enough to stick with the Dodgers isn't going to matter as much to him as the fact that he sees the positive momentum in his teammates. You don't get to 90 wins if not for some key players who are still young and should still be on the upswing of their careers figuring it out. And if that happens, it's not just good news for 2020, it's good news for 2021 and beyond. If it goes the other way, they could end up having to tear the whole thing down. That could be where we end up. But... Let me let me sell it to you this way. I've got to get down there and, and, and grab onto a baseball, like I've said. But I think there's less of a chance that the Rockies finish in the 70s in their win total than there is that they finish in the mid to upper 80s. I'm not going to predict 90s right now. There's so much turmoil around the team. But if they get off to a good start... Yes, there is talent on this team that can win 90 games. If they get past all this offseason nonsense, yes, there's the talent on this team to win 90-plus games. If you get past the recency bias, if you take into account a three-year look at all of the statistics and projections and averages and not just what happened last year, There's no reason on paper the Colorado Rockies can't be a 90-win baseball team. They basically are. They have been before. Not that long ago. 
I'll have more thoughts and, and be able to answer more questions. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the, the Pete Rose thing, but I'm going to leave that for another conversation. I'm going to wrap this one up here. Thank you all so much for listening in to this episode. Make sure that you're following on social media at Drew Creaseman at DNVR underscore Rockies. Subscribe into all the podcasts, uh, especially the, that the Denver Sports Podcast feed where we're dropping all the movie duo pods. They've been a lot of fun. I appreciate you all. I hope you will continue to be awesome. I will continue to be Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. Are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses? Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more. I started drinking it because I have degenerative arthritis, and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing, and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis. That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft coffee every day for months now, and she is so happy with the results. I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.